0: Welcome to Your Path to Nonprofit Leadership, the weekly podcast that features the very best in productivity and professional development in the nonprofit sector. I'm your host, Patton McDowell. Glad to help you on your journey toward senior leadership in the charitable world. Thanks for listening. This is really what I love to do. It's working with nonprofit leaders like you and helping you find the resources you need to succeed. I had a fantastic conversation this week with Stacey Gesso who after a very successful career in the for-profit arena, banking in particular, moved over into the nonprofit world where she was equally successful as a leader of nonprofit organizations and a fundraiser, including the healthcare, arts and culture, and human services sectors. And her journey will give you some great insight as to how you can adapt your leadership if you move between sectors or between communities, as she made the jump, frankly, from a city through which she was very familiar, had tons of connections, and moved into an entirely new world. Perhaps you've made such a move, or entertaining one, or maybe you're helping somebody get oriented to your community who's come from the outside. All of these kind of topics I think you'll find helpful here, as Stacy and I talked about making the move, first, from for-profit to nonprofit how she developed key relationships as she moved into a different community, and many of the resources and advice she received that helped her throughout her journey that can help you as well. Oh, don't forget to check out the show notes. This is episode number 75. Just go to the podcast or the news page at com, and you'll find all the resources, links, a good book or two, as well as more information on Stacy and the great work she's doing as a consultant for nonprofits now through Sumner Madison. Speaking of resources, make sure you also go to our website and connect with us. This is the perfect time to kick off your 2021 professional development plan. We've got two programs now that applications are coming in at this moment. Number one is our mastermind program, which the next cohort will kick off in mid-January 2021, as well as the next cohort of Leadership Gift School, which will kick off also in January of 2021. So if either of those programs are of interest to you personally or for your organization, let us know. Connect with us through the website, PattonMcDowell.com, or just email me, pm at PattonMcDowell.com. That's my initials, pm at PattonMcDowell.com. All right, without further ado, please enjoy my conversation now with Stacy Jesso. Stacey, thank you for joining me on The Path.
1: I'm great. Thank you for having me.
0: Well, this is a fun conversation I'm looking forward to. Stacey, you've had a fantastic career in nonprofit leadership and fundraising for different organizations and different communities. And of course, we'll talk about how you have uh, kind of uh, been so nimble, frankly, in communities large and small. But before we get into some of those lessons you've learned, tell us, why did you get into nonprofit work?
1: Well, you know, I actually uh, was working for BB&T, and I I worked for BB&T for about 10 years. As I was working and kind of starting off in my career, I um, was very actively involved in the community, in the Charlotte community, with a lot of different organizations. Um, But most importantly, I was um, a member of the Junior League of Charlotte, where I actually served as president in 95-96, And as a part of that work, I had the opportunity to work with an organization called St. Mark's. It's now called Lifespan. And um, I worked with them a little bit as a volunteer and they gave me an opportunity uh, that I really couldn't pass up. I'd always really been interested in nonprofit work and really health and human services. And so um, the CEO at the time um, asked me to if would I be willing to come in and finish up a capital campaign? It was actually their first ever capital campaign. You know, I went in to talk to them, and you know, my dad was a banker, and so you know, I was trying to carry on that tradition. But um, banking was not really my passion, and so um, I decided to take the position. I was now, you know, I was like forty, so you know, it wasn't like I was. know brand new in in my career but i was right right and decided you know what (laughs) i think there's more for me out there so you know i took a i took a big cut in pay i took a, a a cut in
0: you know benefits
1: and um kind of just went into it with just some some volunteer um knowledge um and so Part of that was to come in and finish the campaign for them as they were raising money to build a new child development center. And the other piece was once the campaign was finished, they wanted to create a foundation. Uh, and so they asked me if I would be willing to to start and create the foundation. Nice. And, you know, it was funny because my dad, of course, who was my biggest champion and at the time was chairman of First Union. He said to me, he said, Okay, well, so tell me exactly what you know about starting a foundation. I said, Well, you know, I don't know anything about starting a foundation, but if I can be president of the junior league, I can figure it out. <laughs> and that's it, you know, that's exactly it. and you know, in this first job was I, I really referred to myself because kind of the Jane of all trades because you know, I was everything. I was annual giving. I was major gifts. I was running the campaign. I was doing all the volunteers. I mean, and so for me, as hard as that was to be a one-woman shop, it was really helpful to me because I learned so many different.
0: Good experience. Yeah.
1: So I left there and you know what? I never looked back. And, you know, I I said if it didn't work out that I'd just find something else to do. But I walked out of that bank and um, took on a whole different path and I have never regretted one minute of it.
0: Well and and you picked up great experience and you're I know now able to offer wonderful advice to others that perhaps like you are considering uh, what I call lateral entry right or of course it wasn't it was less than lateral for you at that point in your banking career that you decided to take a leap of faith really and join Lifespan and and then get such wonderful experience so uh, definitely want to unpack that uh, throughout this conversation, Stacy. But before I get there, I guess I want to ask a more, kind of an immediate question about, you know, the strange virtual environment in which we're operating. Of course, you have recently run a healthcare foundation, uh, which is in the midst of a pandemic. Had to be an interesting dynamic. But what have you done to kind of keep yourself organized and stay on top of things with so many kind of strange things going on?
1: Well, what I will say is, um, I wish I had that magic, that magic wand to, to tell everybody how to stay organized, but you know, I'm probably, um, I'm a great person full of a lot of ideas, and, um, <laughs> but, but sometimes I'm not necessarily the one who can, can, um, get them implemented.
0: Right. Right.
1: So, um, for me, honestly, I mean, I think the good thing for me was because I, I did work for a healthcare system and I was at work every day. So, um, you know, I came to work every day. Now, what was different was, as, um, as you know, I was on the senior leadership team. And so with COVID, our roles began to change. I mean, we met every single day wow. for about three to four hours a day. As we tackled, you know, how we could elevate our hospital and services in order to care for our community. So, um, so my role for fundraising quickly shifted, and um, and and due to having to shut down our ancillary services, which you know came to a halt, and those were really services that brought in, you know, funds for the hospital.
0: Right. Right.
1: Um, you know, uh, uh, I mean, money was, it it was really tight. I mean, we were spending hundreds of thousands of dollars on PPE and, you know, reallocating folks and because we were shutting down ancillary services, we had a lot of employees that we had to staff out. So on top of everything that we were, we were doing, um, my department was staffed out. So I was the only person um, in the foundation. Wow. And so, um, and then my responsibilities totally changed. And so they had me focus on the employee well-being in the hospital. And so that was, and I was in the hospital every day. I was up on the floors, you know, make really trying to take care and make sure our employees had all that they needed. And so, this is much
0: beyond the quote, the fundraising, right? I mean, some of the fundamentals right. that you were also charged with, this is all on top of that.
1: Right. So the other thing that, you know, what I'll say came out of that that I thought was extremely positive was we had our community really rally um, around our frontline workers to the point that it was almost really overwhelming. Um, and so quickly, we realized that um, not only did we have staff members um, working, you know, round the clock, but it wasn't just those frontline workers. It was our environmental services. It was our, you know, um, our technology folks. It was our food service folks. It was all those folks that you don't think about, but they also were the frontline because they were not only right. taking care of the employees, but also our our patients. So it became apparent that we needed to put some sort of system in place so that not everything was going to the ED or not everything was going to the COVID unit, workers or the ICU or whatever it might be. But I saw I saw folks that probably had never given any any donations to the hospital or volunteered at the hospital or really had anything to do with the hospital, but all of a sudden they were coming out of the woodwork. And so, you know, to a fundraiser, you know, it's really that first connection with someone in the community, no matter what that is. Right. Right. And we, we had so many folks wanting to donate meals to, um, bring snacks to, I mean, we were just inundated. And so, um, but every single person, you know, we reached out to them. We we arranged for them to come and, and donate. And not only that, at, at, at one point, I said, "Y'all, we can't take any more food." I said, yeah, "We're going to be more, the more best than we can handle." To Weight Watchers, yeah, yeah, right. Um, and so I turned it around a little bit. And we started a we started a COVID fund, and we had some very generous um, uh, faith communities. Congregations, just individuals. We had um, area businesses. Um, we had folks who maybe weren't able to support um, some of our initiatives at certain levels, but they they wanted to do something for us. And you know, people were writing big checks. Wow! And so, you know, and it was it was very touching to me because the one thing that the foundation had really tried to do is really Reach out to the community, and we were kind of that liaison, you know, between the hospital and the community. And it, um, you know, we and of course, I took pictures, social media, thank yeah, you, people yeah. love seeing themselves. And, um, and so, yeah, as I always say, there's never a gift that's too small.
0: It's a good um, point. And do you think you'll be the foundation will be able to translate? Know the emotion of that outburst of support into longer term relationships. I know not in all cases, but what do you think?
1: Well, I mean, I hope so. I think that it's kind of hard right now that I've, you know, I I took early retirement, so I left the end of June. And, um, you know, we are very, they have a very skeleton staff. And so I don't know, and honestly, I don't know what their what they're planning to do moving ahead
0: right right Um,
1: but yes I mean if I were you know if if I were in that place and what I certainly tried to do while I was there was build those relationship with relationships with every single person that wanted to do something for the hospital
0: Yeah, that's. and
1: and people were you know and, and, and what I found is a lot of folks who maybe made that one initial gift or one initial meal kept coming back. What else can we do? And, um, and they were also good about letting us make the decision on the best way to support the hospital because meals were great and snacks were great. But as I said, as we, had, we saw a big deficit around, you know, buying PPE and other things, you know, we needed some financial, a financial boost.
0: Yeah, that's a great point. And I know a lot of organizations and nonprofit leaders are trying to determine the best way to, you know, maintain the relationship in an appropriate manner and turning from certain donations to ultimately what you do need is the the philanthropic dollar, don't you? And that's something, you know, really Stacy's been a hallmark of your career, kind of initiating and building those relationships. And in fact, I want to go back to the lifespan, you know, that first experience. Uh, we're going to talk about some of the transitions you've taken from maybe larger cities to a smaller community like Rocky Mount, but I want to go back to lifespan. You, know, you used your own experience, whether it was junior league or from the bank, but what else helped you when you first got started? You, you've made that kind of lateral move from corporate to nonprofit. Do you recall in those early stages what helped you succeed?
1: You know, one thing that I thought was really was really interesting and a little humorous was, um, you know, I had some of the senior leaders say to me, oh gosh, you know, this should be really easy as you transition, you know, into building the foundation, because here are all these people who make donations, and so we'll just go back to them and ask them for, you know, more money.
0: <laughs> right, and I said, right. well,
1: that's fine, except that you've got people pledged out for three to five years. Uh-oh. So, um, so you actually, what you're asking me to do is actually start from scratch. Yep. So, and you know, it was like, they were, they just looked at me. It was like deer in headlights. like, well, what are you talking about? I said, well, you know, ABC foundation gave you X number of dollars and you know, they're going to pay that over the next three years. So you can't ask them for anything.
0: They're tied up. Yep.
1: And, and honestly, a lot of the folks from an individual giving perspective were, those were probably some of the first gifts that Lifespan had ever received. I mean, it was, it was new to them. And this was actually the, the first real community campaign they had ever done. So I said, so, you know, I know y'all think it's gonna be easy that I'm just gonna ride in here. And all of a sudden we're just asking the same people for, for money that are already tied up for the next three to five years. But really, the hard work is how do we begin to build a new donor base—people who have, have not given—and um, the one thing was really our our um, our clients' families. You know, they hadn't really thought about um,
0: approaching them for yeah, support.
1: approaching them. And I think the other thing, and I think I was. Um, I had a lot of connections in the community. I think I I happened to be fortunate that not only from a professional um, capacity, but also from a personal capacity,
0: right? That
1: right. Uh, a lot of the matriarchs and patriarchs of of Charlotte happened to be, you know, close family friends or had been mentors, and so you know, I reached out to them. I mean,
0: Good.
1: I reached out. I reached out to folks. Where I felt like I needed help. And um, because, you know, I didn't know anything about starting a foundation. I mean, I might have, you know, acted like I knew what I was doing, but I had no clue.
0: You had to. Was the the nonprofit community supportive? Did you find peers? Because you brought peers from your professional and personal settings. I wonder once you got into the nonprofit sign, what was that
1: network like? It was great. I mean, I think I was really surprised starting off in my career about how helpful other nonprofit leaders were. Right. And because I tended to be, you know, a little, I want to say younger, you know. Um, particularly and I say younger, not necessarily age, but certainly you
0: experience know, maybe in yeah. the sector. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And you know, I just I started going to AFP meetings and You know, I started meeting some of the, you know, then senior leaders and tapping into their resources and asking questions and, you know, tapping into um, the business community. I mean, as a a new foundation, we had to get our, our 501c3, we had to get it up and going. And I reached out to an attorney who had also been a volunteer on the board who helped me facilitate that whole process. And I didn't pretend to know that I had any idea what I was doing, Right. but I knew what questions to ask. And that's one thing that I think has really helped me in, in, in my career was asking people for help when you need it.
0: Yeah. Good.
1: And once you get them engaged, whatever capacity that is, then you can pretty much keep them engaged. And honestly, I think folks are so willing to help any way that they can. Was that so part I of... use that a lot because I yeah. didn't have any staff. I didn't have, you know, at the time, Lifespan, I mean, this was all new. They weren't, they weren't out there fundraising, you right. know? So, and it was about me kind of connecting to the community to be able to introduce them to the great work that Lifespan was doing at the time
0: but you almost led with not a fundraising pitch. It was just trying to seek advice and get them involved. And then ultimately that did lead to charitable investment, I'm sure.
1: Exactly. And it goes back to, you know, talking about what I always tell people, like, what is your story? You know, people, you know, I think people do give to people, but I also think that donors have become much more savvy over the last five to 10 years. It's not like it used to be where it was kind of the good old boy club where I'll give 10,000 to your charity. If you give 10,000. To right. Mine. Right. It's now that folks want to really want it as an investment and they want to see how their money is being put to good use. And you know, they want to know that it's, it's, it's definitely making a difference. And they ask, I mean, you know, they're, they're much more involved and honestly, I love that.
0: You don't mind that kind of question and that kind of inquiry? No. Yeah. And I, I mean, our fundraising friends, sometimes if,
1: if, there's some oversteppers,
0: right? <laughs> what? Trying to get too much into the weeds of your nonprofit.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I had a little bit of that at, at lifespan. And I, I think being new, I, you know, I guess for me, I've always had a real philanthropic heart. I mean, that, that was kind of taught, to me from my parents. Right. And you know, I had people who I had some folks or some parents actually who you know, they wanted to they wanted to give money. They had they certainly had the capacity and the affinity to give, but they tied it into some things that they specifically wanted for their child.
0: Yeah. Almost and, restricting um, their gift, isn't it, yeah. aren't they?
1: Yes, and to the point where we had to turn them down.
0: I was going mean, to ask you what do you do with that?
1: It was a very tough decision, and um, my CEO about had a stroke. But, um, you know, I made that choice because, you know, that's just, that's not how, that's not being philanthropic.
0: Yeah, good, and good for you for protecting, frankly, the ethics of our profession, right? Because, sadly, there are instances (laughs) when we accept a gift and kind of look the other way. But right. as soon as you start, uh, you know, allowing that kind of uh, narrowly focused, restricted gift, um, you're, it's a slippery slope.
1: It is, and I think sometimes people, you know, and I, I tell folks in particular, don't chase the dollars. Yeah, you know, stay, exactly. Stay true to your mission.
0: Well, you, you've exhibited that, Stacey, along your career journey, and we talk about multiple stops, but one in particular. I think for folks that have gone in either direction from a smaller community to a larger city, you went and from a, you know, in North Carolina, Charlotte's the largest city. And then you found an opportunity in Rocky Mount, which I, for those listeners who don't know, would probably be a medium to smaller size city, certainly on a national level. Um, why'd you do that? And let's talk about, uh, you know, some of the, the nuances of leading a philanthropic organization in a large versus small community.
1: So, I mean, you know, if you had asked me, you know, I've been here seven and a half years. If you asked me, you know, eight years ago, would I ever leave Charlotte? I'm like, absolutely not. (laughs) Right. (laughs) I love my queen city. You know, I I was born in Charlotte. I, um, you know, honestly, I had such a, it was my home, so many friends, you know, my family was there. Um, I had, and I had a really great network um where i felt like i i had you know for us older folks a rolodex of um of people that i could call to seek advice or need help or whatever it may be and i thrive on that i mean i thrive on the networking and the relationships absolutely um but you know i i um I, I really kind of, I really wanted to get back in healthcare. I mean I've been at I've been at Novon at Presbyterian, which i absolutely loved. Yeah, Hospital you know, Foundation.
0: Right. Right.
1: Yeah, I left there and um, you know, I I went to um the arts, you know, I, I mean I did a total like, you know, turnaround going from healthcare to the arts at the Mint Museum. And um, but that was I mean, honestly, I think the Mint Museum was probably one of the one of my most favorite, favorite opportunities I had, and that was yeah, really working on building a new museum downtown, and um, and just the creative, um, creativeness of, of the folks there, and of course, I love the arts, anyway. Um, so I, you know, I, but I, I still had this passion for health care. I just always have, and you know, when I left Presbyterian, I certainly talked to, as we know, Michael Rose, who's just been a, such a mentor to me through uh, so many things. Right. You know, I wanted to, I, I didn't want to leave healthcare, care. And um, he said, you have to kind of go through that grieving process when you leave one thing that you really love, but it's probably the right time to leave. Forever. Right, right. Um, and what is it that you really want to do? And of course, you know, I immediately thought I wanted to go work at, you know, Carolina's Healthcare or atrium now I work for him because that would just been my dream job but he said you you just think you want to go immediately into healthcare and there's so much more out there so really think about what it is you want to do and so I do different things I went to the, the museum I work for Council for Children's Rights Child Advocacy which I absolutely love I I helped with Pat's Place getting Pat's Place Child Advocacy Center up and going and Um, chaired that board for a few years and but I kept it kept healthcare kept kind of calling me right and out of the blue I got a call from a search firm out of Chicago who said and honestly this is what I'm gonna say to young folks who are like looking to change careers or or whatever my LinkedIn they said we found you on LinkedIn and we think you would be a great choice for a healthcare foundation in south carolina and then out of the blue as i was I, I was a finalist for that position in south carolina and i got a call from another search firm who asked me about a job in eastern north carolina and i said okay and they said it's with a it's with you know nash hospital and I said, well, I'm, I'm, I'm a finalist for this other position. And he said, we're just starting our process, our search, but I'd like to fast track you and bring you down here. And I said, okay. So John and I, they brought John and I both down there. And um, it was such a great experience for me. I was
0: going to ask you what... It was, yeah, what well, did... it was
1: more about the community. I mean, right. the, the search committee was, it was a lot less... Um, Structured. It was very casual. You know, they were just, you know, so kind and thoughtful and they showed me around and they toured me all through the community. They had a, a dinner for me meeting with some of the hospital board members and foundation board members. And they had me meeting folks in the hospital, of course, the executive team and the foundation team. And, you know, they um, and I really saw the community.
0: I was going to say is that what you were looking for or found that that's what made it valuable and obviously the reason you maybe pulled the trigger
1: coming to Rocky Mount and having them look at me not just for my skill set but as a as a person and I thought it was really the right fit for me at the time I you know they were going through a really tough time you know her came Floyd in 1999 the great flood had had devastated this community right and, um and they can they could not get past it i mean if i heard it once i heard it a million times even
0: years later right it was still years a later. factor yeah
1: um but you know they downtown a beautiful downtown i mean there was no business there were so many things i saw as such opportunities
0: were you able to and, leverage that i mean is that kind yeah. of because I was going to ask you, you know, with without the network that you had from your previous Charlotte community, it sounds like you kind of quickly evaluated some real strengths in this new town and tried to build upon them. But well, yeah, what else did you do to kind of create a new space for yourself?
1: We went to every little town, every little place in eastern North Carolina so that we could learn about our new city. We, we did research at the library. John was he did such a great job of researching the library. It has so much history here. Um, you
0: had to prove I, yourself, you think? Or... I
1: had to prove myself. You know, I had a whole pl- I had done research on the hospital, the community. I had a whole plan laid out of things that I would do. I called it like my, my first 90 days. Yeah. And these are the things that I had, had noticed and things I thought that we should, should do. And, you know, the, the, the search committee, they were like, they said, we're, we're very impressed. I mean, you know, I said, well, it's like, I said, you know, it's not just about you interviewing me. It's about me interviewing you too. Absolutely. And so what we did is I started to, um, just do some, some research of, of folks in the community who were the, who were the movers and shakers that I needed to meet. And, um, and I just called them up. Nice. I I called them up. I started showing up at Every, any kind of a a event, any training, any, anything. Just um,
0: community-based activities. Community-based
1: activities. Um, And so, you know, the board, I mean, they, you know, they, they had talked about, and I think you see this a lot of times, that they won't change. We won't change. We are change agents. And then you come in and they're like, well, you know they said you know we don't do things here like you did in Charlotte and and I said to them, I said you look I I don't I don't have all the answers I said but what I do have is I've had a lot of experiences Uh and I was like okay well you know things are going to change we need to be more diverse we need to have younger folks we need to be you know I mean we just need to do things differently I said You know i'm the chief development officer of the hospital i am administration and i can make these decisions and i said i'm making the decisions because this is what we need to do in order to build a strong program i said you understand that there's no program here and i have to be a good financial agent a good fiduciary to our donors and so I am going to make these decisions and I hope that you'll support me on that.
0: Good for you. You, you had to stand up for yourself though, didn't you?
1: I did. And, and so one day I just said, I'm not going to take it anymore. I'm going to channel that negative energy into something pos- positive.
0: Love that. Well, Stacey, this is fantastic. And, and I love the illustrations that you give because you know, I think that's the the journey people are pondering and, what if I move to a new community? What if I jump into nonprofit like you did, frankly, from a successful banking career? Uh, is there anything else, is, if someone were asking you, all right, Stacey, I'm thinking about following on a path like yours, any other advice you'd offer them as they ponder
1: this? You know, I think you need to really be true to yourself. I think, um, because I think nine times out of 10, you know, our, our, our gut reaction is probably the right reaction. I think that you need to, you know, stay true to your mission. Um, You know, coming here and, you know, folks saying to me, oh, well, you know, it's not like in Charlotte we're fundraising where there's all this money and it's so easy to raise money in Charlotte. And I said, look, I said, it's all relative. It's all relative.
0: (laughs) Yes, indeed. I mean,
1: you know, we're all going after the same money, whether it's in Charlotte or, or here. And I said, it's all about creating your story your ask your relationships it doesn't matter if it's a million dollar gift or a thousand dollar gift you know and and and, and it's really about getting folks involved and talking to them and and and, and when they can feel your passion then they they want to they want to help you they want to they want to give to your organization and you know it's you never should be afraid and I, I learned this early on in my career when I, I taught a couple of um, uh, classes out at um, UNC Charlotte and I had a, a group of new you know fundraisers and development and you know I had a, and I was talking about it and I had this this woman say to me she says oh well, I don't like to ask people for anything. I looked at her and said, well, then you're in the wrong profession. (laughs) Yeah,
0: I don't know what you're thinking. (laughs) I said,
1: that's "That's all you're going to be doing is asking somebody for something. I said, but you should never be afraid to ask someone to support something you're passionate about. Good. Because you know what? When they say no, you know, to a fundraiser, that doesn't mean no, that means not right now. And so... I would, you know, while leaving the bank, I mean, I never look back and I know that when I go to work every day, I mean, nonprofit work is hard. But um, you know, you're not gonna make huge amounts of money, but you can make a good sat. you can make yeah, money.
0: there's the profession is, is growing, isn't it, in that yeah. regard?
1: And um, but knowing that you walk out of there every single day and you can truly say, I have made a difference in someone's life that to me is, that is, that, that, that is priceless. Yep. That, that is absolutely priceless. And so, you know, for, for folks entering this field, uh, and I think there, I had a number of folks when I, after I took the leap and some other folks working for, for, for companies took the leap too, and, um, and they're thriving in their jobs and they love it. And, you know, it is about having the confidence in yourself to reach out to folks, call people up, go to everything, you know, um, Kate B. Reynolds Charitable Trust. I mean, when I first moved here, one of their program officers reached out to me and she said, I, I had to just come by here and, and meet you. And I said, Oh, and she said, she said, because all I heard about was this Stacy Gesso, Stacy Jesso. Stacey Jesso and and and, the, and I was asking who she was. She's well, I don't know, but she shows up at everything.
0: <laughs> <Hey>. <laughs> and
1: from that, you know, we began to have um, a relationship with the Kate B. Rose Charitable Trust here in eastern North Carolina. And it's so fantastic. never pass never pass up an opportunity to to meet with someone to Ask for help, just the networking piece I think is I think is tremendous. And just you know, just have confidence in yourself that um, you know that you can you you can be successful absolutely.
0: Yeah, Stacy, you highlight beautifully, I think some of the real advantages and opportunities in nonprofit leadership and thank you for the, the advice and illustrations that frankly are, are real world for someone considering this profession. Uh, one final parting gift, if I might, uh, have you had a book that really was meaningful to you or one you might recommend to someone kind of in this professional development space?
1: Well, you know, for me, I actually, one of the books that I read was called leading change by John P. Kotner, And it's really, a, it's really how to achieve transformational goals. Um, is a, Practical resource for you know leaders or managers that are charged with making change initiatives work, and I think for me, I've always considered myself pretty much a, a change agent.
0: Yes, indeed. I,
1: um, I love change. I mean, don't ever tell me we do that because we've always done it. That just makes me crazy. <laughs> right. um, and I think in healthcare, in particular, um, with all the changes in healthcare and all the things we're faced with from a our rural community. You know, I have learned so much from our community and you know, we have to change. It's not necessarily about what we need as an organization, but it's what our community needs. So don't don't forget to talk to your constituents get their advice as you're going through your planning or strategic planning or whatever you're doing. Bring folks in from the community and ask them what it is that they need. Because that's really why you should exist.
0: Indeed. And well, Stacey will include uh, Leading Change. Uh, Love that book. In fact, it is one on my shelf. So I will absolutely lift it up with you. And uh, certainly other things that you and I have talked about is other thing, I guess if someone wants to connect with you, we'll link them up through LinkedIn perhaps, or is there anything anywhere else you'd like to send people who'd like to maybe connect with you uh,
1: that's, as well? That's perfect. They can sure they can certainly um, through LinkedIn or, you know, you can, you, you can just call me or, or shoot me an email.
0: <laughs> that's awesome. Well, you've got <laughs> oh, lots yeah, of I advice. Love yes, people. yes, you do. And you've done it well. And certainly many communities and nonprofit organizations have benefited. So thank you so much for joining me on the path.
1: Gosh, thank you so much for having me. It's been an honor.
0: Well, I hope you enjoyed this conversation with Stacy as much as I did and came away with some practical ideas that can guide your professional journey, especially if you're considering a move from the for-profit arena into nonprofit. Maybe you're looking at a different sector within the nonprofit field or you're moving into a new community or welcoming someone who is doing just that. For all those reasons, make sure you check out the uh, show notes. They're available at PattonMcDowell.com where you can find out more about Stacy, the great work and resources she offered. Or if you want more information on our Mastermind or Leadership Gift School programs to kick off your 2021 professional development plan. As always, thanks for sharing this episode with someone else on the path. And if you haven't already, make sure you subscribe. Just go to the podcast page at com, and you'll see links to the primary podcast platforms, which will assure you don't miss any of our weekly episodes. They come out every Thursday and the additional bonus episodes and content we're putting out at least once a month. Thanks for all you're doing in the nonprofit sector, especially right now. And keep up the good work for causes that are most meaningful to you. I'll keep bringing you content that can help you do it even better. Have a great week, and I'll see you next time on The Path.